This is Sunil here, and we wanted to share a special episode of the Halo Drop. At the start of the pandemic, we found that many of our portfolio companies were looking for strategies, tips, and tools to use to be as resilient as possible. We hosted an amazing conversation with American football player Jerry Rice, Christian Subramanian, and Akshay Oberoi, partner at Unanimous Capital. Jerry Rice is a Hall of Famer, was a part of three winning Super Bowl teams, and holds over 100 NFL records. There are some amazing tips that you can apply in your daily life and business. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Jerry Rice. I never thought I would get drafted and go on to live the ultimate dream of mm-hmm. playing professional football. You know, a guy out of Mississippi goes to Mississippi Valley State University, then get drafted by the greatest team ever, the San Francisco 49ers. When did you realize that that dream was becoming reality? Like, I'm sure at some point during college, uh, you know, you started getting noticed by NFL scouts. You started hitting draft boards. When was that aha moment for you? Well, we had scouts to come into Mississippi Valley State. We would sit down, we would watch film. We were getting a lot of recognition because of uh, the offense that we ran, the run and shoot. We were always on the ball. The ball was in the air. And I think people, you know, they were curious about how can this team put up so many numbers? So once they started coming in, but I never never let it just really creep into my head Mm -hmm. that I would get drafted. I would let the fans, you know, the fans would tell me that, the coaches would tell me that. But, you know, you look at some of the guys from the major schools, you know, say USC, Notre Dame, they knew exactly that they would get picked or they would get drafted. You know, coming out of Mississippi Valley, I was unsure. And I didn't really want that disappointment just in case I I, I didn't get drafted. But I got drafted, 16th player, taken in the first round by the San Francisco 49ers. How did you feel that the Niners took you at 16 versus the Cowboys at 17? Because from what I know, the Cowboys were pretty interested in you as well. Yeah, you know, it was like, I guess everything happens for a reason because uh, the San Francisco 49ers, they traded with the New England Patriots to get down to that 16th spot. Mm -hmm. I really thought I was going to be a Dallas Cowboy. You know, I thought I was going to wear that star on my helmet, America's team. I was into Drew Pearson, Tony Hill, all of those guys and, and uh, San Francisco came in. Bill Walsh called me, the greatest coach ever, and said, hey, we're going to make you the 16th player taken in the first round. And and they just had won the Super Bowl at Stanford against yeah. the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking Montana, Ronnie Lott, Roger Craig, Dwight Clark, Freddie Solomon, all of these great guys mm-hmm. that I, I would get the opportunity to play with. So how did you – no, that, that's great that you bring the fact up that they were just off a of- – a Super Bowl win relatively recently. How did you transition, first of all, coming from, you know, a, a small place like Mississippi to the bright lights of San Francisco, um, you know, relatively big market team at the time, of course, uh, still is. Sure, there was a lot of pressure coming onto a team that had already been successful, right? So how do you motivate yourself uh, to actually stand out in camp? Because you see it these days, right? I mean, don't want to name anyone to put anyone down, but there's top 10 picks in recent years that haven't panned out. Right. So how do you sort of translate that draft success into hard work and not let it get in your head, even when you sign the contract and get to the league? Well, the transition for me was a little difficult, mm-hmm. you know, because I was like deer in the headlights. I'm in the locker room with these Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. I'm looking across the room, looking at Joe Montana, Dwight Clark, 
Ronnie Lott, all of these yeah. guys. <laughs> and uh, it, it's almost like, you know, you at awe. But I knew what I, I needed to do, and it took me a while to transition. But my teammates, they could see it in practice. The coaches, they could see it in practice. They like Because I, I think I would catch like a five-yard pass and go 95 yards. Just finish and really just learning the concept of the offense. It took a while for me. I, I went through some adversity. I had to fight through that because, you know, all of a sudden the media got down on me. And, and I, I think the fans, they thought I was going to be a bus or something like that. And uh, I had my teammates to really support me to say, hey, look, we see it doing practice during the week. We see it doing training camp. Now you just got to transition and put that uh, to that Sunday, that Monday night game, uh, the regular season. And once I did that, uh, everything just took off. You know, I felt like I, I really belonged on that football field and I, and I knew that I could make plays to help my team to win. No I in team, right? And we kind of see the same thing um, as some of the startups that we've invested in and work with. It's not just about the CEO. It's about the talent under him or her, right? Everyone from the boardroom in your guys' case, front office, scouting staff, quarterback, teammates, everyone has to be sort of united. So, you know, how did you guys keep repeating that success? Because you won your first Super Bowl and then you went and got another one, being fresh off one in 1989 and having a Super Bowl MVP. You did it again in 1990 Super Bowl. So how did you guys keep the band together for that and really motivate yourself? Um, because, you know, some, some athletes get lazy after one. Yeah. Uh, they don't really care to accomplish more just like some CEOs get lazy after one acquisition and they're kind of done. Right. Yeah. So, so besides being passionate about what you do, how did you keep that fire going to win one in 89, 90, and then again, all the way in 95? You know, I think uh, you have to love what you're doing. That's the first thing. And I think it starts with uh, the organization. Uh, we had the greatest owner in Eddie DeBarlo, Carmen policy down to Bill Walsh, then you have to have great leaders that really don't get complacent. They stay hungry. And what they're going to do is they're going to transfer that knowledge onto uh, the younger players. So Bill Walsh, he was the type of coach. He would leave it up to the players to take over the team. Mm -hmm. So the way we practice, the standard, everything, it was up to the players. And if you had a player that was not living up to that standard or not working as hard, a veteran player would take that player aside, not in front of everybody and say, hey, look, we have a standard here and uh, we need you to be really that strong link in that chain to help us reach our goal. Mm -hmm. So everything was about teamwork. And that's something I referenced, uh, you know, throughout my career. If it was not for my teammates, you know, it's no way I don't I don't think I would have been as successful. So I, I give all the credit to those guys. No, definitely. I think you're being a little modest because there is a lot of God given talent there, too. But uh, definitely it takes more than just one. Right. And with that being said, you know, to point out a time of adversity, I given how successful you guys were, given who Joe Montana is, everything he accomplished, uh, you know, as a 49er. I wouldn't really call this adversity, but I'm sure for a lot of the veteran players, like, you know, when there was that transition uh, from Joe Montana to Steve Young, what were those locker room conversations like, you know, to keep everyone together? Were there some guys who were more brought into Joe Montana and upset that, you know, he was, um, you know, traded to the Chiefs, he was out and injured for a while, or, uh, you know, how did, 
uh, how did you kind of guide everyone through that? And what were those conversations like? Well, when you lose a leader like uh, Joe Montana, and I always reference this, I, I thought of Joe as being God. <laughs> you yeah. know, when he brought to the table, yeah. we had such great chemistry, uh, you know, on the football field. When I came in and, and Joe, he pretty much, he told me this late on. He said, you added like maybe five more years onto my career because I didn't have to hold on to the ball that long. I knew exactly what you were going to do on the football field. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had great chemistry and it was disappointing when he left, but now all of a sudden you got Steve Young. Now mm-hmm. I have to transition. So everything that I had worked with Joe, the chemistry, I had to put that on the back burner. I, I had to do whatever I had to do to make Steve Young the best quarterback he could possibly be. And I had never caught a pass from a, a lefty. Wow. The ball spins a totally different way coming out of the hand. So I had this one trainer, he was a lefty. So doing individual drills, <laughs> he would just throw me pass after pass, you know, so I could get familiar with uh, that rotation. After that, Steve and I, we went on to uh, catch over, I think we scored like over 80 touchdowns or more. Uh, Peyton Manning and also Marvin Harrison, they came along and they broke that record uh, from the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had more touchdowns with Steve than I had with Joe. And I think it was because I was willing to let everything go that I had uh, that had put me in a position where I could be successful. And uh, now it was all about Steve Young. And, uh, and I think that's why we were the team of the 80s is because if someone left, we felt like the next guy had to step in and that guy had to live up to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. And if, if that player does that, you know, we're going to win football games and we're going to be successful. Makes sense. And and the reason I asked that is because, you know, given the current climate, uh, people are confused and, you know, certain things are out of their control, right? I mean, there, there have been companies, um, maybe not as early stage as ours, but a little later stage companies who, you know, the round of layoffs, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our team? And when things are going sideways, they don't really know how to mentally get back uh, on track. So, I mean, for you, it seems like having, having been there uh, for quite a while and having the success with Joe uh, Montana, uh, there was that mentality of next man up and I've got to make him look like the best quarterback he can be. But for, for others, let's say it was a rookie or, or a sophomore in the league. What was it harder for them to have that mentality or just being around uh, you know, the winning culture um, that you guys had already set? Was it easy for them to transition as well? I think those younger players, they would look towards the veterans mm-hmm. because we all going to go through some adversity, you know, even with your company, you know, Bill Walsh talked about highs and lows. And it's like, when you're down, what you going to do? If you get knocked down, you get back up and you come back stronger. And if we lost a, a football game, a very important football game, we would come back the next week and mm-hmm. we would practice harder. We would work harder. You know, we would pay more attention to detail. Those young guys, you know, as a veteran, they look towards those older guys. If those older guys are working hard and they set the standard, then those young guys going to follow. And and that's when you become a very cohesive group where you can go out and you can challenge anyone and get a win. Makes makes absolute sense. You left, obviously, the 49ers were trying to rebuild. Um, I don't want to say because I personally don't look at it as the emergence of Owens is the reason you really left, but you know, they were trying to rebuild. 
clear salary cap space, all that good stuff. And you moved on to the Raiders, right? And I don't think, at least from my perspective as a lifelong 49ers fan, there were no hard feelings towards you. Like, you know, these days when an athlete moves, you know, LeBron moving to Miami, everyone hates him, right? Kevin Durant moving to Golden State, everyone hated him for that in OKC. I don't think anyone in their right mind, given what you did for the franchise and the city, had those hard feelings. So there wasn't that type of criticism. But what about the criticism around the fact that, or not criticism, really uh, doubtfulness around the fact that, you know, being, I think you were 38 years old when you moved on to the Raiders, uh, you know, you were forming one of the, if not the oldest backfield duos with Tim Brown, right? And it's crazy that in sports, we call 38 the oldest because, <laughs> you know, an athlete years <laughs> old. Um, it's, just, it's just different, right? So how did you overcome that talk? Because many people don't know this, but I mean, you've set a couple of records with the Raiders too. I mean, you were obviously instrumental in taking them to the Super Bowl in 2002, which, you know, unfortunately didn't pan out. But, you know, you were instrumental, a big part in making them, helping them get there. What was your motivation at that age? And how did you get over the the naysayers of, okay, well, you know, he's washed, he's older, uh, he's done, uh, so on and so forth? You know, it was difficult for me to leave the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the sweat, the tears, everything that I, I poured out on the football field, all the the records, uh, the Super Bowls, the fans, from, you know, from San Francisco being in the stands, uh, inspiring me to go out and play my best football. And it came that time and that clock is always ticking. Mm-hmm. It's always ticking, you know, because like you said, at 38, I don't think 38 is that you're old. Yeah. But in football, because uh, the team, they like to go younger. They decided to, uh, you know, part ways with me. I get a call from uh, John Groot, which I, I, I referenced this guy to be, be like the Chucky, the Chucky doll yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. You know, he would always have that frown on his face. He said, hey, Jerry, look, do you want to catch over 80 balls or more? And do you still want to play? I felt like I still had a lot of football in me, so I, I wanted to play. And I go over to uh, the Oakland Raiders and uh, go back to the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think I had – anything against the Niners or anything like that, but I still had a lot of football in me and I, I love just going out there and just entertaining people. And I felt like I, I needed to get all of that out of my system. I go to the Raiders. Uh, we go back, I think we go to uh, Super Bowl 37 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, came up a little short. That was the first Super Bowl that I, that I lost, but I think I learned more from losing that Super Bowl than winning. Because now you still have obligations to deal with the media, you know, because the media, you know, they, they need to ask questions and they're going to ask the difficult questions and you, and you got to be a professional Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with uh, uh, the fans that traveled all of that. So I think I learned more by losing that Super Bowl than winning it. And I think it made me a stronger person. No, definitely. And, and, you know, you even set a record, um, the, your catch in the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl, I think made you the first, uh, player oldest. to touchdown pass first and oldest, <laughs> uh, to catch a touchdown pass in four Super Bowls, uh, oldest <laughs> to catch a touchdown pass in general, but yeah, the, first, yeah, the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. But first to catch one in four different Super Bowls, right. How did that feel? Even Was it bittersweet? Even if you lost, were you like, okay, well, I, you know, that was kind of a cool accomplishment or, 
was it just more about, you know, I didn't win, so I don't care about the individual accolades? Man, I, I really wanted to uh, help Tim Brown get a ring, you know, because we had watched each other across the bay. There's a type of respect mm-hmm. between receivers. And for me to go over to the Oakland Raiders and this guy to welcome me in the way he did, it meant the world to me. We came up a little short and to score the touchdown, I just felt like I was one of those players that uh, that always wanted to get the ball early during the game. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Tim Brown felt the same way. <laughs> I'm sure uh, the tight ends, the running backs, everybody, you know, they felt the same way. But, you know, I saw the opportunity going down the middle. I made the catch. And, and I remember John Lynch. He was chasing me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I was at 40 something. <laughs> wow. And he was he was chasing me, but I was able to get into the end zone. Well, no, that's amazing. I mean, your motivation for that one obviously was was completely different than just getting the individual record then, right? It was helping oh, yeah. uh, it, it oh, kind yes. of goes into that camaraderie we were talking about. You know, because as fans, we take rivalries more seriously than I feel like players do. You know, a lot of these guys are friends off the field, they have a lot of respect for each other. Fans don't really understand the business side of it. You know, they, they think through their fandom and that's what makes fans great. They're passionate about what they're passionate about. But for you being passionate about the sport and potentially getting a, a fourth Super Bowl ring, how did that loss? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you learned more from that loss than you did any of the three wins, right? Two with Joe Montana, one with Steve Young. So this one loss, how did that like how did that uh, change your approach to life in general, to your training regimen? Uh, to whatever else it may be, you know, how did it affect you the next day onwards? Well, I, I think it affected me because I was not the type to uh, just get over it. Yeah. You know, if a loss like that would take uh, till the next training camp for mm-hmm. me to let it go, because I'm playing this game over and over in my head. What could I have done to put my team in a, situation where we could have won that football game. Mm -hmm. I remember after that game, getting on the bus and I go back to my room and I sat on the bed and and I just like, I played that game, the entire game back over through my head. And and I sat there and I I cried like a baby because it was just something I wanted so badly, but it didn't happen. Now it's like, okay, what you going to do? How are you going to respond? You know, are you just going to just sit here and, you know, just have the tears to uh, continue to roll down? Or are you going to get up and go and uh, meet your, you know, meet your fans, mm-hmm. uh, meet your family downstairs and stuff like that? And, you know, you're not always going to win. But it's like, what do you do when you don't? And, that's when uh, I think uh, you realize that you have to be tougher. Mm-hmm. You have to be stronger. You got to be able to fight through adversity. And even sometimes when you plan everything and you have everything laid out in front of you, it's just not meant to be. But always give 100%. And, and, and that's something that I, I talk about a lot. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to people, when I'm uh, when I'm doing interviews, it's always the 100 percent. That way, when it's all over with and done, you can look back and you can say, hey, look, I did it the right way. I think that definitely correlates to 
employees of these companies going through tough times. And, you know, a lot of motivational speakers will say, give it your hundred percent, this and that, but you're kind of a walking embodiment of that. Because like I said, right, you win in 89, you do it again in 90, you do it again in 95, and you still wanted to do it in 02. And, you know, all those years later, you you were still crying when you lost. So that definitely says a lot about your mentality and how you approach life. And, you know, that kind of goes into the fact that 2004, you, you would think, like I said, when you went to the Raiders, you know, you're 38 years old, teams want to go younger, uh, cheaper contracts, more longevity, whatever it may be. What made you request a trade? You know, you got traded to the Seahawks, uh, of course. And I think the Raiders yielded a seventh round pick. Was it yeah. a conditional seventh round pick, right? These days, I mean, there's quarterbacks that just got drafted two seasons ago in the top 10 and again, won't name anyone, but recently didn't yield anything in a trade and just got released. So in your forties, you know, did it still say a lot about how much football you had left in you, um, that you still yielded a seventh round pick as a trade and the Seahawks still wanted you? Yeah. Mike Holmgren, uh, he got in contact with me from, uh, the Seahawks and, you know, he wanted me to come in and be more of a mentor for those young receivers. And that was something that I was willing to do because, you know, I learned from the best, you know, from watching Dwight Clark and also Freddie Solomon. Mm-hmm. Because Freddie Solomon knew I was coming in and take his job, but he was still willing to teach me about the game of football, how to be a professional on the field and off the football field. So that's why I, I went to uh, Seattle and, and had a chance to mentor those guys and, and try to help them out. But I still, you know, every opportunity that I got to get on that football field, man, it, it, it was like, you know, I was like a little kid, you know, because yeah. that was like my playground. That was something that I just enjoyed doing. And, you know, as you get older, you're not going to be able to do some of the things like when you were like a, a young kid. Mm-hmm. But I think because of my knowledge, I was still able to really be successful on the football field mm-hmm. because I, a lot of young kids and a lot of young men, they don't have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I could see things happening on the football field where I could take advantage of. And I was able to do that in Seattle. And, uh, you know, I have no regrets. The only thing is that when I, when I went to the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Steve Largent, the first guy that I meet, Steve Largent, and uh, he walks up to me. He said, hey, look, Jerry, because I, I, I had no intention on putting on the number 80. Mm-hmm. That was his jersey. That was yeah. his jersey. We're talking about uh, Steve Largent, the yeah, legend yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. So he walks up to me. He said, uh, I want you to wear 80. <laughs> I was like, it's almost took my breath away because, I, you know, I was going to wear like maybe uh, – you know, 81 or something like that, a different number. But because he asked me to do it, it was no way I was going to turn down this legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wore the number 80 and uh, took some backlash from some of the fans because they felt like, you know, like, okay, you shouldn't be wearing that number. But out of respect to him, I it's just no way I could say no to it. Of course. Uh, no, of course, completely get it. And you still set another record, by the way, while you were in Seattle. Tell us about that one. Was Did that really? Cowboys. Yeah, you didn't know this? No. <laughs> I guess when you accomplished so much, you just lose track. It was against uh, Dallas Cowboys. I was I was in high school at the time. Monday Night Football, I believe. You caught, I think it was a 30-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, I, I think I remember that one because, oh, yeah, he threw the ball up. I, I think I was in the end zone. 
Yeah. And the defensive back, he was right next to me, and we had to fight for the ball, and, and I came up with the catch. Okay, I, I remember yeah. that. Now. So but that was a record? Yeah, you set the career NFL record for combined net yards. That was it right there. I never knew that. <laughs> well, now you know something. I, I guess I got to teach you something, too. You did. You did. <laughs> so, you know, with all of that, after Seattle, I mean, I know you had a little um, off-season stint with the Denver Broncos, 20 years in the league you know, 1985 up until the 2004, 2005 season off season, 2005 is when I believe you're with the Broncos, right? How did you get, and again, you weren't old. I mean, I mean, 43, 42 is very young, right? But in my opinion, okay. A lot of people will say nowadays, uh, these guys are a lot more athletic. They're bigger, they're stronger. But in my personal opinion, the game was a lot more physical when you played it. How did you survive? I mean, how did you get your body to adapt year after year? What was your regimen like? And obviously now I know what the motivation was to keep going. You just had so much football to give and you're so knowledgeable, but how did you keep your body up to par? And this kind of goes into me asking like, you know, how does one prepare, right? What what is it to prepare for greatness and longevity? You know, I think uh, to prepare, it's like brick by brick, man. Hmm. I mean, you have to put the work in every day. You got to be willing to do that. Yeah, there's there's times where you're not going to really want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to do, I I was the type if I didn't want to get out of bed, I still I rolled over and I said, look, I, I need to get this done. So my off-season off regimen, I think it kept me around for such a long time. I had this infamous hill that I used to run that was about two and a half miles up and you had to run down. Then after that, you go to the gym and you live for about two hours. So I would get started about seven. I wouldn't get out of the gym till about one. Wow. So you do the hill first, then you go uh, do your lifting. Then after that, you shower and you have the rest of the day. The next day I came back, it was about fundamentals on the football field, route running, uh, you know, getting out of my cuts, catching the ball when I'm tired, because in the fourth quarter, you know, sometimes it's like everything is going to be on the line. And if you haven't trained the right way, you're not going to make that reception. Of course, you're not going to make that play. You know, you talk you talk about Michael Jordan, you talk about LeBron James, you got Larry Bird, all these guys. When everything was on the line, they wanted the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what I wanted in the fourth quarter, because I, I knew I had trained the right way and conditioned myself the right way. So as I got older, the regimen was still there. I mean, Every morning I would get up and, and I would, you know, I would push myself hard. I'm doing the same thing today. You know, yeah. when I work out every when I work out every day, it's the same thing. Yep. I'm always, you know, pushing myself hard. Yeah, no, I see that in your um your morning motivational Instagram videos. It's really interesting. You're working out hard like you're still playing. Uh you're all sweaty and everything in those videos. I think it's really amazing that I can still inspire people. Mm-hmm. You know, because if, if, if people see me uh, at the age that I'm at and I'm still pushing myself hard, maybe that might be the incentive for them to get up off that couch and just do something. Even if you do 20 burpees, if, if you do some box jumps, if you do some kettlebells, uh, mm-hmm. if you have, you know, a Peloton or something like that, you get outside, walk or you run. Any type of motivation. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like people... They're looking at, at what I'm doing and I want to send a message that, hey, look, uh, still work hard. Get yeah. it done. Yep. Even, even if you don't feel like getting out of bed, get your butt up, get out of bed. 
Of course. You were a big part uh, of Bay Area culture, are still a big part of Bay Area culture. And, you know, obviously such a big superstar, especially during, uh, you, you were during the rise of Silicon Valley, the 99.com boom, you know, all that good stuff. So being here, being a young star, b- being basically the biggest name uh, that the Bay Area had ever seen uh, in terms of celebrity, when did you start your off the field activities? Was it during your playing days? Because, you know, nowadays you see a lot of the guys uh, getting involved in outside investing ventures, so on and so forth. And when did you start um, actually getting into activities off the field? Uh, or was your main focus just football until you retired? You know what? I, I decided to take that approach. Uh, just it was football. I wanted to be the best player to ever play the game. I didn't want any uh, distractions, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of commercials uh, uh, and stuff like that. I think I had opportunities, but my main focus, it was all about being on that football field, not letting the fans down. And, uh, you know, that fear of failure. Mm-hmm. If you paid your money to come to a football game. I wanted you to witness something special on that given day where you walk out of that stadium and you're talking to each other like, did you see what just happened? Yeah. So my main focus, it was all about football. Then after that, that's when I, I transitioned uh, into other endeavors. And uh, and it's just been amazing to have the opportunity after football and, and have so many doors open for you. Mm-hmm. It's just something I'll never forget. No, definitely. I mean, it's amazing to see guys of uh, the 80s and 90s be so successful. I mean, there's obviously Joe Montana with his venture fund. Uh, you have Ronnie Lott, who's done everything from VC work to owning car dealerships. Uh, you have yourself who's, you know, started Goat Fuel, which seems to be successful so far. Tell me a little bit about how Goat Fuel started. I mean, obviously I know the story, but it would be great for the audience to hear sort of how it came about. So they learn that this is really your baby. Uh, this isn't, you know, celebrity slapping his name on. So to speak. Yeah, this is my baby. I tell you, man, I, uh, I had my daughter after the Super Bowl in uh, in Atlanta. My daughter asked me, she said, Dad, if you had an energy drink, what would you name that energy drink? I said, well, probably Go Fuel, mm-hmm. the greatest of all time. And that's how everything just got started. You know, we, we've been in business for about over uh, about eight months now, doing a lot of things on e-commerce, starting to venture out uh, into stores and all of that. Mm-hmm. But my main thought behind that I wanted to put something healthier out there and that's how we came up with uh, Go Fuel. Muscle Milk back in the day I was a uh, part owner so I went back over to Muscle Milk which is uh, Flavor Insights and I said I want you to put together a healthy energy drink because throughout my career playing for 20 years I watched everything that I put in my body and we're not out to compete with Red Bull and all these other drinks. Monster you know rock star. But my thing is all about health. And I want people to be able to to drink a healthy drink and feel good about it. So, uh, you know, that's how this process uh, started. We've been going strong. I've been out there, you know, turning over, uh, turning over rocks and everything, Mm -hmm. you know, helping to raise money to do all that. When you have an energy drink and you're not just brought on just to endorse the energy drink, you work harder. Yeah. And my name is on this. So that means the world to me. And everybody pretty much know that, you know, I'm all about that work ethic. And, uh, you know, we're doing well right now. It's not just for athletes, you know, during this pandemic, man, 
you talking about the frontline people, mm-hmm. those are the ghosts. Yeah. You know, it could be a doctor, it could be a fireman, and it's just not for athletes. So the greatest of all time, uh, and I think that's what what we're doing right now. And I think we're seeing the effort, you know, from uh, everybody coming together and and trying to get through this uh, pandemic. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, GOAT, it's obviously a term that was used, uh, started being used for uh, athletes like yourself, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. But it's become sort of a mindset. It seems like that's what you're trying to promote, that the GOAT mindset uh, is for everyone. You're a GOAT frontline uh, responder, first responder. That's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You hit it right on the nose. It's a mindset. And if, if I can encourage people where, hey, look, I want to be a GOAT today. I want to go out there and to be the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're doing, you know, it, it could be in any type, any kind of line of work. If I can get that mindset where you say, I'm going to be a GOAT today, you know, I feel like I really have accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. So the first question we have in the Q&A, everyone has their own secret sauce. As a leader on and off the field, what is that for you? What motivates you? What is it that you think helped you become so successful? (laughs) This is so funny because I tell people this a lot. It was that fear of failure. That was my uh, motivator. That really what pushed me because I I, I didn't want to let my family down in Mississippi, uh, the school, Mississippi Valley State University. Everybody was rooting for me back home. So it was always that fear of failure that pushed me where I didn't get complacent and I just continued to uh, work hard. That's awesome. You know, I feel like being in a, in a tech company or in a venture firm, right? Fear of failure, no option for failure is always something that people talk about. But with that, it comes a lot of pressure and stress. So how do you manage that pressure and stress, right? Especially now, mental health is such an important issue. My, my first thing is in the morning time, I get up and I do something for myself. You know, I work on myself by my workout regimen. So that relieves some of that stress. And now it, it gets me jump-started for the day where I could just, you know, go out there and, and feel like I can be productive. I can conquer and, uh, man, I can pour my heart into whatever I'm doing. Awesome. Another question that sort of leads on to that a bit as well is role models are so important in life. And you've been such an inspiration for so many people in different realms of the Bay Area life. Many successful people don't do this. What motivates you to do this? And what makes you care about others? Specifically uh, talking about philanthropy. You know, I, I think what really motivates me is that uh, that I got the opportunity to live a dream, man. And uh, I didn't want to really let anyone down. I need to play professional football for the greatest team ever, <laughs> the San Francisco 49ers. And it's just something, you know, I'm, sometimes I, I have to chuckle about it because the players that I have played with and the fans, I mean, the fans are, are the greatest fans ever. I had this little regiment, man. It's like right, right when I came out of the tunnel, I would go over to this uh, section and they always knew that I was going to come over there. And the fans would just go crazy when I came over. And it's just something I'll, I'll never forget because they really inspired me to play my best. That's awesome. Uh, as you progressed over your, your career, there's lots of rookies that come on board and lots of, let's say, new players that come on onto the team. 
how do you really, how do you lead a team with complex personalities, needs, and approaches to keep everyone focused on the goal, right? Because there's lots of distractions. A lot of folks just jump on a team right away, right? You know, get access to money, the fame, the, the, the light. How do you just keep them focused? I think you lead by example. Yeah, because if they see you giving 100% and you paying attention to detail on the field and the way you conduct yourself off the field too, because when, when we had a away game, you know, it's a business trip. I mean, it's a jacket and also tie. So you had to uh, look professional and all of that. So you lead by example. The way I practice, if I call the ball, I was always going to finish. I was always going to run to the end zone or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, you got your teammates doing the same thing. Now you got guys working together as a group, and you got guys also getting downfield where they can get in position, where they could help that running back, help that receiver, you know, get into the end zone. So uh, I, I think a lot of guys, uh, they would talk about my work ethic, but I got that from Dwight Clark and also Freddie Solomon and the veterans like running line. Awesome, awesome. A lot of those learnings that you've, you've had on the field – how do you look at that when you look at, you know, startups and, and companies? What sort of things do you look for in CEOs or founders? I'm looking for that desire to win, man, that desire to conquer. And, you know, you lead by example. You know, if you are the CEO or of a company and it's how, how you're going to lead that company. And if you're doing all the right things, then everyone is, is going to follow. It was the same way with uh, Eddie DeBarlow. Bill Walsh, all of that. Everything happened with the organization. It trickled down into the to the locker room. All of a sudden, all of you become leaders. But that's what I'm looking for. Someone that's willing to come to work every day, love everything that they're doing, have that total commitment. And uh, if you do that, uh, I think you're going to be successful. Another question we have is, what motivated you to jump into GOAT, you know, being the GOAT on the field and then coming out and, you know, you, you've won pretty much any everything possible. What what motivated you and what got you into to GOAT? Well, you know, I, I wanted to put a healthy energy drink out and GOAT fuel is just not for athletes. It's not about athletes. It could be a, a frontline worker. It could be a doctor. It could be uh, a nurse. It could be what you doing, a teacher. So those are like the greatest of all time. Now you got athletes, so you, you got really an energy drink that uh, zero sugar, about 200 milligrams of uh, caffeine, uh, about 10 uh, calories. But what we also did, we uh, put cordyceps mushrooms. We noticed that these ghosts in the Himalayas, you know, they had so much energy and they were bouncing all over the place. And that's why we decided to add uh, cordyceps mushrooms. And, and it's a healthier drink. And, and I think people, when they hear the name Jerry Rice, that's what they think about. You know, to play for over 20 years, what he puts in his body to be able to sustain for that long. So it's a healthier energy drink. Cool. Another question is, when we're looking at competition in the startup space or, or just with companies, it, it's always a interesting uh, dynamic. You know, should you be really friendly with the the CEO of one of your biggest competitors or a, an, another team? And when you you know when you're lining up against some of the top cornerbacks, are you friends with them? Are you no. hanging out with them? <laughs> 
No, I'm out to win. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's like I had a, a incident with uh, Deion Sanders. I think it was right in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He was with the Falcons. And right before the snap of the ball, he was trying to shake my hand. So I'm like uh, slapping his hand away. Like, you know, it's time for us to do battle right now. You know, but after the game, now you guys can talk. But before the game, that was something that I that I couldn't really do because I'm, I'm about to do battle and I want to win. So, uh, you know, you got to have that mindset. You know, you're, you're, you're a competitor. You got to want to really crush your uh, competitor. So it's <laughs> almost like you are out for blood, okay? <laughs> that's how it is in Silicon Valley, either on the field and off the field. Uh, that, that's for sure. Um, one, one last question before I pass it back to Akshay that we have is, um, you know, we'd love to just hear a couple of tips from your experience as a leader of a team in sports or business on how to balance pushing a team and challenging them to go hard versus nurturing them to not burn out during the busy times. I'm always one of those guys. I, I think you have to lead by example, because if you come in every day and, and you grinding hard and you're doing all the, all the right things, I, I think people are going to see you do that and, and they're going to want to do the same thing. So, uh, you know, just leading by example, man, that's that's really to me is the best recipe for anything. And I, I never got burnt out because I was doing something that I really loved doing. So if that's your livelihood and something that you really like doing, I don't think you're going to get burnt out. You're just going to continue to work hard. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely a lot of folks in the uh, companies definitely have that mentality here. But with that said, I'm, I'm going to tag in starting QB over here, actually, again. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Jerry, one last um, audience question that Krishna didn't get to touch on. Uh, just wanted to put this one out there before we end the program for today. I know you're running out of time. Jerry, I see an erosion of values in society, business, and sports. There is responsibility and accountability for one's actions. As a leader, what would you say to them? What I would say is that today I'll do what others want. So tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. That's what I'm all about. And, and that's it. And, and that's what I feel like every individual should be about. You don't want, you know, anything that's going to come to you. You don't want it to be easy. You want to work for it. Of course. That's what I did in football. That's what I do in everything that I'm doing after football. And again, I always tell people, love what you do and always give 100%. Definitely a great response. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We look forward to hopefully having you again someday soon either as, of course, a, a speaker and as a guest, because this is a series we plan on continuing. Uh, appreciate you sharing the the GOAT mentality, uh, of course, and you know everything it took to get to where you are and uh, where you still clearly are working towards getting. So thank you so much, Jerry. I want to say that you see, you guys are GOATs. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Appreciate you, Jerry.